Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 50 of Minds Over Money. I'm your host, Cameron Brady, and on this week's episode, I'm covering three headlines from last week that directly impact the economy, as well as having potential implications on your own investment portfolios. And those headlines are gas prices shoot up at fastest rate on record, capital spending boom helps raise productivity and contain costs, and supply chains become supply webs. In addition to those headlines, I'm also covering another financial planning topic, and this week, it's Recalculate Your Path. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy. This week's first headline is gas prices shoot up at the fastest rate on record. Prices for gasoline have soared across the U.S., but filling up isn't so pricey historically after taking inflation and fuel economy improvements into account. As the summer driving season approaches, average prices for regular gasoline have been at record highs the past two weeks after going up for 11 straight weeks. Prices reached $4.32 a gallon on March 14th, according to weekly figures from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Those prices at the pump don't factor in inflation, though, which reached its highest rate in four decades last month. Inflation-adjusted gas prices are at their highest level since 2014, and similar to what U.S. drivers saw in the early 1980s. Inflation-adjusted gas prices aren't at record highs, but if March prices average $4.22 a gallon, as they have so far, they still show that motorists will have been saddled with the biggest month-over-month price increase since EIA records began in the mid-70s. The next highest increase was after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Some regions have seen greater price increases than others, Nevada saw the biggest increase with prices up $1.15 for a gallon over the past month, according to AAA, much higher than the national average of $0.72. The smallest change was in Maryland, where prices rose just $0.22. A number of factors can contribute to these regional differences, including gasoline specifications, which switched to summer grade earlier in some parts of the country like California. Summer-grade gasoline is more expensive to produce and may have contributed to a larger price response recently. Supply and demand dynamics also play a part. Gasoline inventories are below their five-year historic range in the West Coast region and above average for this time of year in the Midwest, according to the EIA. Some of the main ingredients that make up the retail price for regular gasoline include costs and profits of refining as well as distribution and marketing. Taxes are another main component, and some lawmakers have proposed or enacted a halt on gas taxes amid high inflation. The cost of crude oil accounts for the lion's share of what drivers pay at the pump, though. This means gasoline prices generally follow crude oil prices, which have been increasing as U.S. demand returns to pre-pandemic levels faster than production. More recently, Russia's February 24th invasion into Ukraine has caused crude oil prices to sharply increase over the prospect of tighter global supplies as sanctions mount on the world's second largest exporter of crude oil. The elevated gas prices sting a little less than they did in the early 1980s when inflation-adjusted prices were similar, because vehicles have become more fuel-efficient. In 1980, new passenger vehicles got an average estimated 19 miles to the gallon, according to the EPA. New vehicles today get about 25 miles to the gallon. So, while gas prices in 1980 and in March of this year are similar after adjusting for inflation, drivers need 25% less gas to travel the same distance today as was needed then. 
If oil prices remain at their current levels, any summer road trips might cost more than they have in years. With the global supply of oil in flux due to the sanctions on Russia, it looks like higher gas prices are here to stay for some time. As long as oil prices stay around $100 per barrel, gas prices will remain elevated. Plan accordingly for your summer vacation road trips. This week's second headline is Capital Spending Boom Helps Raise Productivity and Contain Costs. Spending on technology soars as businesses adjust to higher wages and remote work. American businesses are ramping up technology investment and other capital spending as they emerge from the pandemic. If sustained, that investment boom could boost productivity and living standards and counteract inflation pressure. Private non-residential business investment grew 7.4% in 2021 from the previous year after adjusting for inflation, the fastest pace since 2012 and a strong bounce back from the 5.3% decline in 2020. Spending for software and information processing equipment such as computers rose 14% in 2021 from the previous year. Since the first quarter of 2020, when COVID-19 began spreading rapidly in the U.S., those categories have grown vastly more than others, such as buildings for which there is less need as work is increasingly done remotely. Business spending will likely stay strong this year. Manufacturing firms surveyed by the Institute for Supply Management plan to raise capital expenditures by 7.7% in nominal terms in 2022. Service firms expect a 10.3% increase. The new investment has contributed to an uptick in productivity by making workers more efficient. Productivity, which measures workers' output per hour worked, grew an average of 2.2% a year in 2020 and 2021, up from 0.9% average between 2011 and 2019 before the pandemic. A more productive economy can produce more goods and services with the same number of hours worked. Over time, that could raise workers' wages without pushing up inflation. One driver of the push towards technology is a labor shortage that has executives struggling to recruit and retain employees. In December of 2021, the U.S. labor force was about 1.4% smaller than in February of 2020, before the pandemic became widespread in the U.S. Economic output, on the other hand, was 4.5% higher in the fourth quarter of last year than in the first quarter of 2020 after adjusting for inflation. Walmart, the country's largest employer, announced last year it would bring robots to 25 of its 42 regional distribution centers at a time when retailers nationwide have had trouble staffing warehouses. The company separately said last year it was looking to hire 20,000 permanent workers for its supply chain operations and has boosted pay and bonuses. Another driver is the move to remote work for legions of white-collar workers whose offices were shut down at the height of the pandemic. Firms have invested in online tools and software to allow their employees to work from home. Research has found that many workers will continue working from home once the pandemic is over. About 20% of workdays will be at home post-pandemic versus 5% before the pandemic hit. The Labor Department estimates that will boost productivity by about 1%. Still, it is hard to predict how the rise in capital expenditures and remote work will affect productivity in the long run. Even in normal times, productivity is difficult to capture accurately. Pandemic-related disruptions such as mass layoffs and rapid hiring in a relatively short amount of time might have muddied the statistics further. With a surge in capital spending by many companies, productivity seems to be going up, which should in turn result in wage growth. 
Companies have invested in the infrastructure needed to let their employees work from home due to the pandemic, and it appears that perk isn't going anywhere anytime soon. This week's third headline is Supply Chains Become Supply Webs. Supply chains are designed to be cost-effective, but not necessarily resilient. Companies are transforming them into supply webs, and governments are paying them to do so. A new world order is emerging for the vital supply chains that deliver most of the goods we rely on for our daily existence. Companies, especially tech companies, are questioning the orthodoxies of the past 50 years of globalization. Those orthodoxies include always seeking out the lowest cost manufacturer, no matter how distant, and never carrying surplus inventory or parts. The result of the shift currently underway could include the movement of jobs in manufacturing, representing hundreds of billions of dollars in economic activity in the decades to come. As companies build more factories in more locations and buy parts and materials from a greater diversity of suppliers, the world's supply chains are becoming more like supply webs. Modern supply chains were designed to be cost-effective, but not necessarily resilient. Ever since the adoption of the shipping container in the 1960s, supply chains for most goods have grown ever longer. Making transoceanic and transcontinental shipping cheap and reliable meant manufacturing could move to wherever wages were lowest. This, in turn, meant most factories moved to the opposite side of the world, principally to China. But it also meant, especially for complicated tech like smartphones and computers, that as materials were synthesized into parts and then subcomponents and finally finished products, they might crisscross the world multiple times. Gadgets, which tend to have more parts sourced from more places than almost anything save automobiles and complicated industrial equipment, have turned out to be especially dependent on three features of global trade that were, until just a few years ago, taken for granted. The first is that raw materials would always be cheap and widely available. The second, that shipping would always cost a fraction of the value of the goods being moved. And the third was that this shipping would always be reliable. The U.S.-China trade war beginning in 2018 made it apparent to many manufacturers that these assumptions might not hold true. Then the COVID-19 pandemic drove home the point. Now, sanctions against Russia, the continuation of the trade war with China, natural disasters, and the production and shipping capacity knocked out by the invasion of Ukraine appear to be making issues with globalized supply chains chronic. For many companies, the pandemic-fueled pause in globalization is turning into a broad effort to figure out how to make supply chains more robust by adding more factories, suppliers, and sources of materials. It isn't deglobalization by any stretch but it is an expensive and time-consuming reshuffling of where things are made. All those materials and goods still have to come from somewhere. In logistics, this shift from supply chains to webs is known as multiple sourcing. It has long been standard practice to have more than one supplier for goods and parts in a supply chain, but beginning with the most recent trade wars, more companies, even small and medium-sized ones, have been forced to do the hard work of setting up more factories and synchronizing the quality of goods across them. At the same time that companies are recognizing their vulnerability to supply disruptions, governments are also focusing more on safeguarding access to key goods for national security reasons. These policies go by many names. In China, this move towards self-reliance is known as dual circulation. It was announced in May of 2020 in the country's 14th five-year plan. In the European Union, the portion of this philosophy that deals with tech has been christened technological sovereignty. 
in the U.S., a passel of legislation, executive orders, and rulemaking by the Commerce Department is aimed at shoring up domestic supply chains. These efforts include the $52 billion Chips for America Act, passed but not yet funded, aimed at bringing microchip manufacturing back to the U.S. The goal is to reverse a decades-long trend that has reduced the U.S. share of global chip manufacturing to less than 12% from about 40% in 1990. With demand for microchips growing so quickly that chip makers can't keep up, manufacturers aren't waiting on the CHIPS Act. They've announced a spate of new factories scattered around the world. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, or TSMC, maker of nearly all the latest generation chips in Apple's products, is spending $100 billion over the next three years to increase its capacity, including new factories in Arizona and Japan. Intel has pledged to spend $95 billion on new manufacturing capacity in Europe alone, and $20 billion on a new factory in Ohio that could eventually grow to a $100 billion investment. Samsung plans a new $17 billion facility in Texas, and even makers of chips using older technology like Texas Instruments and On Semiconductor, companies that remain critical for automobiles and appliances and for mundane functions in some advanced gadgets, are splurging on new and expanded factories. Encouraging these investments has become a rare spot of bipartisanship in D.C., with many in both the Democratic and Republican parties taking the view that subsidizing economically important industries like chip manufacturing is also important for national security. The current global situation where countries are lining up in expansive geopolitical alliances separated by trade wars and actual wars is reminiscent of the Cold War and even World War II. In the event of escalated tensions between the U.S. and its allies in Russia, China, or other allied nations, the U.S. cannot afford to lose access to advanced microchips and the other parts and manufacturing required to build everything from weapon systems to smartphones and 5G networks. Currently, almost all of the world's advanced microchip manufacturing is concentrated in Taiwan, a self-ruled island democracy of 24 million people 100 miles off the coast of mainland China which China's communist government has long claimed and vows to recapture. Computer chips are hardly the only kind of tech for which supply chains are being transformed into multi-source supply webs. Manufacturing of batteries, especially for electric vehicles, is currently dominated by China. But dozens of new gigafactories for EV batteries are going up all over the U.S. and the world. Basically, just about anywhere there is a robust automobile manufacturing infrastructure. The iPhone, that icon of the world's longest and most complicated supply chains, continues to arrive on time in part because of coordination of Apple and Foxconn, its main contract manufacturer. Even before the pandemic, Foxconn took advantage of generous subsidies to redistribute manufacturing of the iPhone, splitting production of the device and many others that it makes between Shenzhen and Western China. Foxconn has also expanded manufacturing of the iPhone in Chennai, India, and of AirPods in Vietnam. Southeast Asia in particular has become a hotbed of regional near-sourcing of tech manufacturing. Near-sourcing is when manufacturing is set up in countries close to where an item is consumed or where final assembly takes place. A classic example is when U.S. companies move manufacturing to Mexico from China. In Southeast Asia, whole Chinese factories are copied and dropped into countries like Vietnam and Thailand, which remain close to parts and materials that are still manufactured in China, but where labor costs are lower. Samsung Electronics, for example, makes the majority of its smartphones in Vietnam, as well as its smart appliances. With most countries in Southeast Asia attempting to maintain geopolitical neutrality, 
The region has the potential to remain a supplier to pretty much every nation in the world. That won't stop companies from trying to copy some elements of what is currently accomplished in this region, like the packaging of microchips, a step that comes after their manufacture in the U.S. and Europe. The result could be regional manufacturing, where countries try to assure that, even if they don't make something themselves, they can source it from an ally. Even if we wanted to, trying to reproduce the whole of electronic supply chains in the U.S., from raw materials to finished goods, would be extraordinarily difficult, if not impossible. America may have, at one point or another, made almost all of the components that go into modern gadgets, but a great deal of that knowledge has been lost as factories were shipped overseas, engineers and technicians retired, and no one was trained to take their place. Whatever investments companies and governments make, nothing in the world-spanning system of manufacturing and delivery of goods changes quickly. Reordering decades of globalization, moving both factories and expertise required to run them, is a Herculean task requiring a great deal of money and time. Supply chain issues have been in the headlines for the past two years due to the endless bottlenecks that have choked almost every industry from Christmas trees to microchips. Finding a solution that can minimize the fragility of our supply chains is a plus for our domestic economy as well as our national defense. This week's financial planning topic is recalculate your path. Spring is a time of renewal, a time to clean out the old and plant the new, a time to recommit to our values and reinvigorate our efforts towards our goals. It's also a time to get outside and get a breath of fresh air, to reevaluate our actions and to recalculate our path. It's a time to reflect on where we are in life and metaphorically speaking, where we would like to be. So let's all commit to the following. Make time to calculate the value of what you own and the total of what you owe. Make time to imagine your life several decades from now and push your vision to include activities and ventures that might be presently out of reach. Make time to devise a step-by-step -step plan to move your life from the present towards your future vision. Compound interest is the seventh wonder of the world, and we believe that the money that money makes will provide an income investors cannot outlive if they only give their plan enough time and money. Thus, they should pay themselves first before they spend on their immediate needs. They will consistently and patiently add to what they own and pay down what they owe. Track your success as you progress through your step-by-step -step plan to keep yourself motivated and to modify the plan for the many unforeseen challenges that it will face. Remain positive and energized in the knowledge and faith that your life, the lives of your family, and the life experience of the human family around the globe will continue to improve through an unending spirit and drive to make life better for ourselves and our children. Remain steadfast in your belief that you are responsible for what happens to you, and you can only control and change your own actions. You are exactly where you are based upon your actions, but you can improve if you make an effort. Ask for help from mentors and advisors who are experienced and knowledgeable in matters that you are not, and who can help you help yourself. As you seek out mentors and advisors, seek only those who will commit in writing to put your interests ahead of their own. Turn off the television, worry less, smile more, and take time to smell the new flowers appearing in a renewed world all around you. If you and your life savings are being ignored or feeling taken advantage of, come join our family. We are a family-owned financial planning and investment advisory firm who promise to treat you like family. No products, no hard sell, no gimmicks, just honest advice based on our four decades of experience. 
If you have any questions on this week's episode or are interested in getting an unbiased opinion on your finances, please give us a call at 440-235-2100 or email me at Cameron at MichaelBradyCo.com. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Uh-huh.